Are you self-employed and looking to get a home loan? Do you want to buy a property with your super fund? Or has your mortgage application been knocked back and you need a solution? At Better Mortgage Management, we specialise in solutions for home and investment loan borrowers. With over 50 loan products and 23 years lending experience, we have the flexibility and expertise to help you achieve your property dreams. Call us at 1300 857 275 to discuss how we can help you. This podcast is brought to you by Better Mortgage Management. You're tuning into Cancer Culture, a podcast all about cancer. My name is Jackie Cowan and I'm an ex-cancer patient and also your host. I'm on a mission to let cancer patients and people affected by cancer know that they are not alone. Throughout this episode and the course of the podcast, you'll hear stories from people who are currently enduring cancer, lost loved ones to cancer, or whose lives have permanently been scarred and changed by cancer. This podcast can be both insightful and sad, so please strap in as it's one for the brave. I'm most definitely not a medical practitioner, however, a survivor of an illness who wishes to bring individuals together through hope, genuine human interaction, and storytelling. You're listening to the first episode of Cancer Culture. We are joined today by another very special guest, somebody who I had the pleasure of meeting way, way, way back. I want to say 2013, 14? I reckon (laughs) around that time, definitely. In the one and only Alumbra smokers area, to be clear. It was a joyous time in all of our lives. I had recently, or if not, was going through chemotherapy. So at that time was going through quite a fair bit of stuff. I shouldn't have been hanging out in the smokers area. It is without further ado, Gemma Colburn. How are you? I'm good. Thank you. It's a beautiful day and I am ready on bevies. Ready <laughs> on the bevies, as you should be. What time is it in Sydney? Uh, 4.20 almost. So it's a good oh. time to chill out. A little bit more serious, but something that we both have in common in some way, shape or form. You are tuning into a cancer podcast, if you weren't aware of that. But yeah, today Gemma is here to tell her story and journey with one of her grandparents. So yeah, let's get into it, Gemma. Do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself and who we're discussing on today's episode? Yeah, so basically, my name's Gemma, as we've discussed. I moved down to Sydney to look after my grandmother as a personal carer. And then two years ago, my grandfather had a seizure and went to hospital and was diagnosed with terminal cancer, so stage three cancer of the lungs. He also had bumps on his brain, which they didn't really confirm whether or not they were cancer or not. It was a very odd diagnosis process. He was pretty. I don't know if you can call it young or old. I think he was 78 at the time. And yeah, he he decided that he didn't really want to go through it. He had a bit of a fight, but he preferred to die with dignity. So I became his full-time carer as well as a carer for my grandmother, which if you've ever done personal care, I used to do it for work. I did a personal care for cerebral palsy and spinal cord injury. Working for family is an entirely different thing. There's so many more emotions. There's no going home and turning off. It's all day, every day. And they're family, so you care a lot more in a different sense than you do with a client. Gemma, that's unreal. And I think 
Hence why when I put, when I actually put something on the internet and I was like, hey, does anyone have anything to do with cancer on my social media? Which a lot of people do, but your story took me by surprise because a lot of people our age, and if, if it's not rude of me asking, would you mind telling our listeners how old you are? Yeah, so I'm 27. And when I was put on the system for my aged care, I was 25, I think, or just 24. There's, you know, age is not easier fun to recall. But I was literally on the system as the youngest person ever in history to be listed as a carer on my aged care in Australia. Wow. So, and I remember being on the phone to them and them saying they were shocked. And I was like, well, considering you give me barely any support, at least I'm on the system. And I, yeah, definitely gave them a lot of reviews in how to fix up that service because it is a hard space to negotiate. Good on you. And that's especially hard. I think somebody of your age, even now and at that time, that is, that's a lot of responsibility and that's a big thing to go through. Yeah. I, Cause I was telling a mate about yourself this morning and he was, how, how old was Gemma? And I was, I think Gemma was, yeah, around about my age, if not a year or two older, which is pretty crazy. When you thank moved. God, thank God I still look 19 and nothing's changed since the Alumbra days. Nothing's changed since the Alumbra days <laughs> at all. Did you move to Sydney prior to that or did you move to Sydney for that? No, so I moved down to Sydney half for myself because I wanted to get out of Brisbane and do something different. And my grandparents live in Bondi, so be stupid not to take that up. Mm -hmm. Um, But also then when I got here, dealing with my grandmother who had mental health disorders and I realized, okay, someone needs to stay and look after her. And then my grandfather, you know, had his diagnosis and that's when all of my care shifted to looking after him. So I quit what I was doing pretty much full-time at home, looking after him, making sure that he had the right quality of life. And it very quickly turned from taking him to appointments to palliative care, administering you know, what is it? The method, not methadone. What's the word that makes you go to sleep? That they give you the vials and you inject it. It's a very heavy drug. So I was injecting, yeah, I was injecting syringes into very intense turn of events, but it was quick as well. So it wasn't long. It was probably three to six months total. And then, yeah, sadly passed away. Wow. That would have been an absolute roller coaster. It really was. I was very lucky to have friends and family and at the time my boyfriend around me to help me get through it because not only mentally but physically it was extremely hard. And I can only imagine how it would have been if my grandmother didn't have the support network of myself and the people around me there as well. Mm -hmm. So this was pre-COVID, right? So, yeah, this was pre-COVID. He died before COVID ever became a thing, which I always remember... Going into COVID, I was, oh, he's so lucky because he would have been outraged at the RSL closing. Um, he would have been <laughs> one of those people like at the door, like, let me in. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> banging on the door. <laughs> I think it would have been a very different time even for yourself, but I guess that didn't happen. And in many ways, maybe it was a positive that he left before this kind of shocking pandemic overtook everything. 100%. My good friend, one of my best friends, her mother passed away of cancer during COVID. And Mm. the difference between my experience and hers, massive. They were forced into home care, whereas I, we had the option to do either home care or palliative care in hospital. 
and yeah the the lack of being able to just go in and see your grandparent because you're, you might kill them because you bring in a virus I would never I wouldn't have left the house if that was the case I would never have gone anywhere I would have just stayed at home and tried to make sure he was okay but luckily COVID was still in China at that stage so mm-hmm. it's still early days I want to talk about your mental health side of things but we'll go into that soon if that's okay with you yeah I just to know a little bit more about your grandfather prior to that mm-hmm. and prior to us kind of talking about the effects that it had on yourself. But did you mention that your grandpa decided not to have any treatment? Yes. Yeah, so he did radiotherapy. He mm-hmm. was too ill to even get chemotherapy. They didn't think wow. he'd survive it. But they did in the early days, they asked him if he wanted to do it, but he deteriorated so quickly, it quickly got taken off the tables. But he never wanted to do chemo because as soon as they said, you know, you're going to get sick before you get better, he was, no way. I'd rather just go through the radiotherapy and live out his life. But interestingly enough, he he didn't have that much treatment. We went and had general doctor appointments, the radiotherapy. That was pretty much it. The rest of it was more so end-of-life care. So it wasn't a highly medicated environment which is what he wanted. He would never have wanted to be around beeping. He hated the doctors. His whole life, he never went to the doctors unless it was an emergency. He he just didn't go to the doctors. I don't think I've ever talked to my grandfather about being sick. He's from that generation of even if you're sick, you get up, you go to work, you don't complain. Tough boy masculinity doesn't doesn't complain, just does his job. He was 75 or whatever and still working full-time as a pool boy. Wow. Not a sexy pool boy, but a pool boy nonetheless. And he had some great clients. And I went, I used to tag along to him at work. And the stuff that he did, I was, I can't even, I don't have the strength to do this. And I I was pretty fit at this time. So skinny man, really strong, pretty fit for his age, smoked his whole life. Wow. His whole life. Heavy smoker. My my family's Austrian, so they yeah, they drink, they smoke. My grandparents both were probably two packs a week. They used to buy the cartons of cigarettes. Wow. The day that he was diagnosed, that was the last cigarette he ever had, ever. Just stopped smoking immediately. He put the cigarettes on the TV, which he watched constantly, watching football. And I remember he would always say, I I wish I never smoked. He would look at the cigarettes and go, what a fucking waste of time. Yeah. Um, What a waste of money. What a waste of time. Look where I am now. And he was just, it was shocking because, I mean, my boyfriend quit smoking at the time as well because he saw how quickly my grandfather quit. No regret, no no come down or any, you know, he wasn't yeah. having withdrawals because he was already sick from cancer. And the willpower to do that, I'll be a little bit too late. Mm-hmm. It, it is really shocking and it shows you, I mean, as someone who used to smoke, but no longer smokes as well, it's, it's really powerful having that put in front of you. I feel a bit of a nag telling people to quit smoking. It's definitely something that I feel like you've gone through cancer and especially if it's smoking related, you want to share it a little here and there. And I'm all for people smoking. I don't care if you vape if you smoke, but if you're chilling out with me just at my house, I'll bring it up and be like, hey, like, you know, my grandfather quit smoking the day he was diagnosed with cancer. You don't want to get to that stage. Try and quit earlier if you can. But way of life, do whatever you want. No, absolutely. And I think when you've seen it firsthandedly and you've seen what it's done to somebody that you love so much, of course, of 
course you're going to think that way. And I have no doubt in my mind that you would ever force somebody to act a particular way. But when you see somebody that you love diminish that quickly, of course, it would just come as second nature to try and rub that off. 100%. Especially because he quit and there was no hesitation in quitting. It wasn't even a thought. And it just showed me that it is it is that easy if it gets that bad to quit. Yep. And this is coming from someone who's been vegetarian for 11 or 12 years and I order my friend's steaks at restaurants. <laughs> I'm that type of person. I wouldn't tell you to do anything, but you never want to let it get that far. So, of course not. Yeah. Don't smoke in your 70s. Yeah. It's one of those tricky things, hey, it's kind of, I guess, I'd hate to think that your grandpa blamed his death or how quickly it kind of came through based on smoking do you know what I mean or if I wonder if he ever thought in his head could I have turned back time or could I could I have added time if I quit smoking earlier do you think that's something that he thought about in his definitely the way that he looked at the packet of cigarettes he'd always be like come I should have quit I should have quit a long time ago and he'd always and he he would have you know he probably would have still had cancer my mother my sister and I we used to always say that well, I wonder if grandpa has cancer because he's smoked for his whole life. He's yeah. drunk his whole life. He was so skinny. It was, you, you know, you just assume that, you know, this is how that person is going to die. And then it happened and you, you could tell that he regretted it. But in the same sentence, he would always say, I led a great fucking life. And he did. If you if you partying, pokies, booze, and you know going to the RSL, he was the king of the RSL. So he's our man. You know, yeah, literally the king of the RSL. There is in Bondi Junction. There's a wall with his photo on it, Stop and it, it says "Raffles, rest in peace." And I had a big party, and we got this is by the time this he was in a wheelchair, he couldn't really get out of the chair much. But all the football players from UNSW Bulldogs. All of them came, all of them supported him. He's pushed people to quitting smoking, though, following his journey. So it's very sweet how much love he got from the RSL. But great life, which my life was as good as his. You're just getting started. Do you think that if they found the cancer earlier that he may have had a little bit longer? Yeah. If he went to doctors and got general checkups, yes. I think that would have been something that was picked up maybe in second or first stage. But at the point that he was at, I remember the doctor left the room. Oh, the doctor got him to leave the room and called me back. He goes, There's really not much we can do at this stage. And at his age, it's more so just making sure he is comfortable in what he does. Mm-hmm. And they were, we could, if we, if he went to the doctors, yeah, a hundred percent. But because he's from that generation of, you know, just tough it out, don't go to the doctors. There's no way they would have picked that up. It wasn't until he had a seizure and grandma had to call an ambulance that it was even diagnosed. So I think there's a pretty, pretty serious kind of lesson in that that goes for all ages. You know what I mean? And it's something that I'm going to try and preach. And I'm most definitely 100% sure that all of you will as well. But yeah, and that is to go to the doctor. Nobody knows your body better than yourself. And I guess that generation, my nan is 93. Nothing, nothing is wrong with her or ever will be, but it's more that I did smoke for so long. Mm. Yeah. So because I did smoke for so long, I'm always, and my grandfather had lung cancer. I'm always going to double check it and it's going to be something that I'm going to ask for a checkup on. But my now ex-boyfriend, he actually 
has a family history of bowel cancer. Yeah. And so he's constantly on top of it. And lucky for him, it's shocking to think how much cancer actually is in my life. He actually just recently had, um, yeah, a very bad colonoscopy. And if he didn't get it checked when he did, his doctor literally said, you know, it's one of, it's one of the highest rates of, you know, fatal cancers out there. Wow. And he's lucky he caught it when he did. And partially the reason is I would be on him all the time, go get checked. Even after we broke up, go and get checked. Mm-hmm. Your year, your yearly renewal date to go and get a colonoscopy is coming up. Go and do it. You need to be on top of this because mm-hmm. if you're not aware of it and you're not checking it, especially if you have family history or lifestyle behaviors that lead towards it, you don't want to be too late. You don't, well, maybe you do. Maybe you want to live, live a good life with my grandfather and one day everything just, that's it. You're out. You're tapping out for life. Seems the way that he'd go. But when you're young, when you're under the age of 60, you've got to, you have to pay attention to your health and your lifestyle in some capacity. 100%, especially when something can just come in a whirlwind and ruin everything that you've yeah. worked for all to, all to, you could easily just prevent that with a checkup, whatever that may look. I think that's very interesting I also want to come back to your mental health and whatnot, but while we're on the topic, Gemma, do you think that it's something that you kind of think about too much now to some extent as somebody who's witnessed that and gone through that with someone that I you love? Say, I think I'm, I'm going to be always more aware of it than other people. I'm always, even just not related to lung cancer or anything, I'm, as a female, constantly once a year at least, you know, I check my breasts because we're now old enough that I don't want to get breast cancer. You've got to be on top of it. But at the same time, I live recklessly and I try and enjoy my time. And if you're caught up in things and you think about it too much, I don't know, I'm a person that believes that it'll come back to you. The, you know how doctors always say there's no way they would have got through that. They got through it because they were very headstrong. I'm a big believer of what you put out comes back. You can see that in my grandfather. He didn't have to fight. I'm not going to think about it because then I probably attract that into my life. And I'd rather enjoy myself. But also I'm very aware at the same time. Yeah. But I try not to think about it too much. I think it's a around his death day, it comes up and I'm, oh, time for me to make sure, look back and reflect on what I'm doing. Have I done this recently? And it's not just cancer for me now. That goes a bit broader. What are my generic things that I have to do medical-wise to be healthy as a human? What checkups haven't I done? Is it this year or is it next year that I need to go and do that? Yeah. And I guess that, I guess that reassures yourself as well. And if you did have a bit of a worrying mind, some of us do, just staying on top of that does help in general. And as you said, having those kind of dates and reminding yourself and putting things into your schedule is really important. But yeah, I want to have a little chat about you, if that's okay. So I guess the reality that we live with and those of us who have unfortunately been touched by cancer in many different ways is that it flips our world upside down, in your case, at a super young age and with a lot of responsibility. What was that time for yourself and I guess for your grandparents behind closed doors? Yeah, I think it's one of those things that when it happens, it's being thrown out onto a street and just kind of being like, you got to run, you have to do it. You don't have time to think about it. So for the early stages of it, I didn't really think about what I was doing. I didn't think about the fact that I was not no longer going out and enjoying my youth as, you know, prime age and Bondi should be having a great time. Mm-hmm. Actually was, you know, looking after my grandpa, grandfather and grandmother at that time. 
I was just thrown into it and I didn't have the time to process what was happening. But regardless, your brain is constantly working on these things. So there was a point where there was so much buildup. And I remember I called my mom and I was like, I just broke down and I was so hard. And it's not that it's hard for me. And it's the same thing with care now with my grandmother. It's hard because you feel like you're not doing enough. And there's that guilt that doubles up no matter how much you do. Could you be doing more? When, and even with care, sometimes 3 a.m., grandma would come knock on my door. She needs to go to the toilet. You need to come and get him because he couldn't walk to the toilet at this stage of his own. He would fall over. Mm. So I'd have to, you know, we didn't have the proper care because the hospital was absolute trash and didn't give us the proper tools that we needed. They, they were hard to even get baby wipes off at this point. And it's yeah. an expense that I shouldn't have been covering on my own as a person that was out of job providing personal care. So I was, until we got the wheelchair, I was literally at 3 a.m. I'd have to guide him to the bathroom. Mm-hmm. Thank God I had my boyfriend to help me during that time because I look back and I'm, I wouldn't have been able to do that solo. I okay. pulled my arm out. I seriously hurt my shoulder during it because of improper care maneuvers because the house was so cluttered and old people horn. It, it was really hard. I remember one time he had an accident, not falling over anything, but he just stood up, had an accident, didn't get to the toilet on time. And he was so embarrassed about it. And me and my boyfriend were like, nah, man, it's cool. You can, you know, piss wherever you want. It doesn't try to make you really <laughs> casual and keep him calm. But it's, it's really interesting because you, I don't know, I call it mum mode. You don't have time to think about yourself. You just have to do what you can. And in those moments when everyone's asleep, you don't want to sit there and dwell. You'd rather dissociate. And I don't know, for me, I just would go and watch, you know, parks and recreation or something that would, I know would make me laugh and distract me because it was the best way to get through it. And I'm an incredibly happy, optimistic person. So mm-hmm. all through this, I've been better equipped than most people because I'm already pretty aware of myself. I'm always looking on the bright side of things. Even during this, I was like, even with my grandmother, I'm so lucky that I get to be here during this time and provide this care because everyone else is not with their grandparents or their parents during this time there. There's a distance. There's, you know, you've got to check in at the hospital to even get to them. I just walk down the hall and what's up? You want something to eat? And it's, it's a blessing because I get to spend that with them, but I also get to give them that gift of family care, which is, I think it's the best gift you can possibly give someone, honestly, is to be looked after with dignity. And that doesn't happen the same thing in a hospital. It's still dignified, but it's nicer to be around people you love. That's so special. Yeah. And I got to learn a lot about him. How we processed it is I would ask him about his life in Austria. Mm-hmm. And we'd go and I'd find, this is probably going to make me cry. Um, I'd go and find like, all the stories of his youth. And I learned so much about my history. And I discovered stuff that my mum doesn't even know about our history. Now I know that we're Jewish. I know that he was from a super wealthy family. None of that was ever spoken about until it became a distraction as he started to get more lucid and forget his memories. I was like, okay, let's go back to really early on because your youngest memories are your strongest memories so it was a nice escape so we'd go on google maps and (laughs) explore the streets of where he used to live and i'd find i'm very lucky that i can google my family name and find historians that have written about my family and bringing all that information up and showing it to him and even educating him on things that he didn't know and 
that's probably what got us through it the most because it was an entire distraction, but it was a really nice chance to bond between the two of us. Of course. And that's super special, crazy special. Do you remember what the last week was or anything that with him? Was that? Yeah, that was probably the hardest because it comes, you know, you just know I was, we're close to the end. And especially with palliative care, they, they stop eating. They stopped moving. He was getting bed sores. We had to push him onto his side every couple of hours, rotate him around. By that point, he was in diapers. By this point, I did get care. I did. My mum fought for me to get care. She literally was like, you guys are neglecting someone in need. He needs to have personal carers coming out morning and night, minimum. Mm. Not to mean the middle of the night, middle of the day, I still had to do everything. But mm. this was the point that I was, you know, I was fatigued, tired, had a sore arm, couldn't do it alone. So I started getting carers to come out and help me. Thank God. It was emergency care as well. So God bless charities. If they didn't mm. do that, the government does jack shit for you, honestly especially cancer. I'm more happy to help someone with an early stage diagnosis of anything than someone with terminal cancer in the end of their life. They're just not going to be that long. Why would we provide you care? That's crazy. So that in theory, I had to fight to even get on a pension. They literally told me you can't get the pension for your grandfather. They denied it. And I was like, he's literally at home dying of cancer. And they're like, just go on it for your grandmother again. You're better off just getting a pension for your grandma. So men and good mental health is important, but I said, is mental health more of an illness than cancer now? Do you not understand? <laughs> how did, how does that make sense? How so can you try was- attempt to even weigh up the two? Not that one is more so worse than one or the other, but when it, when push comes to shove and your father, your grandfather, sorry, is on his deathbed. That's pretty crazy. Literally. How do you not get an emergency pension for that? And that, so that was an added stress during that time that made things worse. But in the last week, it was so quick. He was so, he was already on, you know, he's being uh, injected with morphine. He was on liquid Valium. He was on Dexys, which I mean, that's a concoction in itself. And he was having, he kept, I remember he kept saying, I'll never forget this. He used to, everyone's come to visit. And it was just, me and my grandmother there and he'd be having a conversation with someone across the room and he was like Sheldon's here and my grandmother and I to this day don't know who Sheldon is we have no idea who this person is and he would have long-winded conversations with this person to the point that my grandma would start she's like, oh he's seeing he's talking to someone I'm gonna leave the room because it creeps her out and it, it was it would creep me out a little bit too but you know you're, if that's what's happening that's what ha- that's what's happening and he would talk to people that some of the names I knew, some of them I didn't know. He, when he was actually conscious, he wouldn't eat. He would, his mouth was so dry because your body literally starts shutting down that I would have to wet these medical sponges and put them around his mouth to hydrate his mouth. I started putting beer on them because I, I was fuck it this guy deserves a beer you know and he loves the taste of bb so put some beer on it put it in his mouth let him at least taste his favorite drink and thank god the nurse is the one that actually told me this she was like put some beer on it or some wine like, we're not meant to recommend it but you know Do it. why the fuck not 100 percent. i mean you'd want some i'd make me an espresso martini and put it in my mouth <laughs> i want what i want and i just like they just you deserve to live your life out the uh, way that you want it it was tough but honestly at that point because I was receiving help it was a lot easier on me and it was more so emotionally tough seeing my grandfather 
on the outs was the hardest part, I reckon. Especially after you would have just spent so much time with this super, super special person to you and kind of watching that all unveil so quickly would be hard. What was it, if you don't mind me asking, kind of post his passing immediately? So the day that he was, so the the day that he died, I remember, so he died at midnight and I remember the day of, the day before, I actually set up an Instagram post because I was just, I wanted to process what was going on. That ended up being my rest in peace post, which is, I think back, how did you know? How did you just know that that was the day that it was going to happen? And so, yeah, that ended up being the, I just edited it the next day or the day after and I just said, rest in peace. Mm -hmm. Um, My grandma came into my room at midnight and was like, he just had the, they call it the rattle of death Mm -hmm. when you have your last breath. And it's like a really deep guttural sound. So we were warned about this and then, she was, I think he just had his last breath. And so I came in, I checked and I was like, yeah, he's, he's passed on. I was like, let's go sleep in my bed tonight. We'll just cuddle and we can wake up in the morning. And then I was tomorrow morning. It was all, it went from all about him to my grandmother immediately. Mm-hmm. So I remember I called our housemate and I was like, can you just take her out of the house tomorrow and just, just take her for a drive, take her to the coffee shop, get her to her best friend to come over and see her. And just, I said, just sit her at the coffee shop for like four hours, which my grandma's doing, she's a people watcher. So <laughs> I just got her out of the house as soon as possible. And I basically was in the house with his, by this point, corpse. I could not look in his room. I just, mm. I had to shut the door. I was respectfully, no, I don't want to see that. Yeah. I don't want to remember you past. I was waiting for the coroner to come and that took, I took them eight hours. Wow. So they came, oh no, even longer because he died at 12. They came at 2 p.m. So you can imagine how long he was there for. That was pretty hard. Mm. Most of it I pretty much just spent in my bedroom processing what had happened, but also wishing him well on his passing at the same time. And because we're Jewish, even though we didn't know at the time, candles were lit to secure his passing yeah, all those sort of things. And it was actually my best friend's birthday that day. And she came down to Sydney to see me and I called her and I was, hey, not today. And my grandpa Aww. just died. And he was at your birthday, like, go out, enjoy yourself. Um, but I, that's how I remember every year on her birthday. I'm like, fuck, that's the day that my grandpa passed. And I'm not a person that remembers birth dates or death dates or anything, but she's so sweet she messages me on her birthday like rest in peace I guess having that reminder every year as well coinciding with something so special your best mate's birthday plus your grandpa's passing but luckily for me my grandpa was a piss head so I can always get drunk on his day of passing and I know that he'd be proud (laughs) (laughs) after that a lot of the effort actually went back into making sure my grandmother processed this well she's Mm -hmm. someone with depression and anxiety and helping her get through it may come from a very traditional, not in the good sense relationship where she worked, he worked and his money was his money. He went put in the pokies and she kind of provided for the family Mm. very bad. So she actually, after she got through it, she actually freed up herself in a different aspect for a long time. Then she was literally living her best life. She got all the attention in the world the whole bedroom was cleared out and everything was changed and she was she was became the center of the universe so yeah. i mean 
that to me is it's very sweet to help someone park have their their love of their life pass on but still feel valued and loved how is she going she's good she's I mean and the older she gets the harder her mental illness becomes to deal with especially going through anxiety during COVID she mm-hmm. can imagine how anxious she is to leave the house but she's also the sassiest woman ever that's where I get my mean-spirited love of people from so <laughs> <laughs> she's doing she's doing pretty good she's a bad bitch at the end of the day and bad um, yeah literally she's the type of person you'd be like, I remember we used to drink with her and grandma do you want tequila and she's like yes do you want to chase her she's like, I'm not a pussy <laughs> so, <laughs> oh god the apple doesn't fall far from the tree does it <laughs> it really doesn't I'm literally just underneath the tree but I I'm a bit more of a pussy than her, so I take a chaser. <laughs> <laughs> I want to talk about grief, I guess, because the more people I interview and the more, I guess, beautiful stories that are told in whatever manner they way they may come across. Grief comes in so many different, different, different ways. Cancer is associated with a lot of things, whether that be sadness, distress, depression, fear, and anxiety, which are all normal, especially normal when dealing with the loss of a loved one and or cancer in itself. Did you seek any mental health advice throughout that time? No, no, actually I didn't. Um, I think I'm better equipped than most people to sat as bad as it sounds to deal with grief because I come from a background where I studied sociology and for a full semester I studied death, grief and culture. So yeah. I learned about, and it's not about how to deal with it mentally. I learned that it's okay to grieve. Mm-hmm. I learned that, you know, it's okay to clothes and hug clothes of a deceased person they're normal things to do and there's nothing wrong with how you grieve it doesn't matter if you don't grieve immediately and if you grieve later on that's it's fine everyone has their own processes and how they go through things I also come from a family where my father died when I was 11 months old so I've always had this looming idea of death in a different capacity like Mm -hmm. ever talk to someone whose dad or family member died when they're a baby we make jokes about death. We yeah. laugh in the face of it because it was in our lives before we even knew we could, we, before we could even walk. Yeah. So I dealt with his death really well, but also as a primary care for someone with cancer, the whole time you're doing it, you're already grieving during the process of care. I think all cancer patients and all people that care for people with cancer, you inherently are grieving actively while they're still alive whether it's grieving for a loss of a life that's going to happen because you're in palliative care or whether it's grieving because you know that this is going to be something that throughout the rest of your life you're going to have to deal with in some capacity or be aware of, you're already on that process. And I actually didn't have so much grief. I had more of a relief when he passed on because now he's at peace. He didn't have to die with beeps around him, got to watch footy as much as he wanted. He got to chill out and it was a relief for me because I no longer had to do such exhausting care. Not that I didn't want to do it, but it was physically and mentally exhausting. And to be able to tap out and be like, thank God I did what I needed to do. I provided the care I needed to provide. And now he's passed on and he's in a much less painful place. Yeah. It was a lot easier. But in saying that, you know, I cried before, just before twice because of the memories of the person. It's a breakup almost. You always are going to remember the good moments, the hard moments, and don't ever feel bad about feeling some kind of way. To feel is to be human. And Mm -hmm. whether it's good or it's bad, take it as it is because that's the way life goes. 
and you're alive and it's it's something that I don't know challenges ever every single day emotions of that sort I really appreciate the way in which you see the world and the way in which you've I guess I don't want to say handled but I don't know even the grief first relief that's pretty incredible I have never ever and I've met quite a few few people in my time but I've never met somebody who's walked a day in the shoes that you have or even come close to it in terms of being your age and working in palliative care especially looking after two different grandparents did you find that alienating at all in comparison would would you ever compare yourself to who you were at that stage in your life versus I don't know what other people were doing and what other people doing on the internet the internet's bloody crazy it's so shit in that regard but it has many positives to it as well I will highlight yeah I got to see a lot of my good friends I was seeing what they were doing and I remember once I was talking to my group of friends and I said something and one of them turned and was dude I don't want to hear about your grandparents and this was at the start of this diagnosis. And I literally was, I'm sorry. Do you want to sit here and talk about dudes? Because that's all that comes out of your fucking mouth is I'm having sex with this guy and I've gone on a date like this. I'm like, your problems are pathetic. Pathetic. Whoa. You want to hear real problems? I'll tell you real problems. I went off my fucking rocker. <laughs> and it was, I think they realized that it's, I actually just needed someone to talk to and you should be able to rely upon your friends at this time. And they also, and it was a, it was a bit of a shock for them because they actually realized that they don't actually have any problems. Mm. You, you just want to sit around and gossip. I actually just wanted five minutes to talk. When you say how you're going, I'm going to tell you how I'm going because you asked. Yeah. I wouldn't tell the shop attendant that, but they asked and then they didn't want to hear. And it would be, sometimes it'd be a bit of a slap in the face hearing people not want to talk. Not that I wanted to share everything with everyone, but I do a really short surmise of yeah it's really tough they had like three doctor's appointments this week and it's mm. a bit a bit draining and you could tell people would just tune out whereas they wanted to talk about the same dude over and over and over again I'm like, Ugh, it's not a problem don't even want to talk about this so was hard but at the same time I still lived because it wasn't a long it wasn't like cared for years you know so up until the days that he was diagnosed I was still drinking and going out. And even now with my grandmother, she's always go out, have fun. I want you to have fun. So I'm lucky that my grandparents were party people because they want me to have a good life as well. Yeah. And I think that's, that's a really special thing. The fact that I can come home drunk and my grandmother, yes, like <laughs> you get it, girl. <laughs> get it, then. Um, <laughs> my grandfather, one of my favorite memories is he came home really drunk one night. This was, I think I've got the video. I've got a video of him on my phone. He came to my bedroom. Like, when are you going to get married? Just going off his rocker at me, telling me to get married. And my grandma's in the other room. She's not getting married. She's going to be a single gal for life. The two of them, like, back and forth ring on together. And so I, I don't think I have any, I don't have regret because I got to, I it, it made me a caring person even more so. It showed me that I'm, if I ever become a parent, I got that shit in the bag. Mm. I best mom ever because I've already been a carer to two fully grown toddlers which are my grandparents <laughs> I did a great fucking job so yeah I think it can be hard but at the same time I wouldn't have it any other way I've gotten the privilege of getting to know my grandparents better than pretty much anyone else in their life and especially with my grandpa reminding him of his history discovering all this information and going down this really interesting path in my my family history, I learned more about myself than I ever would have going out and, you know, being a 24, 25 year old, most people. 
So I think that's so genuine. And the fact that you can actually see the good in this scenario is amazing in itself. My hat goes off to you for even realizing that about yourself. I also think that as someone my age, this is something I spoke to a doctor about early on in his diagnosis because I was just there for a general checkup and he was, the doctor was, can you just list me your responsibilities? Because I'd say things in passing. I listed out my responsibilities to him and he said, you live, you live the life of a 30 year old. You have the responsibilities of a full-time mom and a full-time worker. He's like, how do you do it? And I was like, I don't know. You just, you just do it. You just suck it up, do the thing and do it with a smile. And sometimes you might crack, but then you're like, hey, I had my brief moment where I had a mental <laughs> downward spiral and now I'm back up again. <laughs> and here we are. <laughs> don't mind me. Don't mind me. Yeah. I want to ask you another quick question on a side note, because it's been a while since I've gone through a cancer journey of myself. I've had, unfortunately, quite a few friends since that time who have been fucked around by the fucker that is cancer. If there is a particular way that friends or loved ones can approach a scenario you were going through at that point in time, in your own words, what would that be? How could they make your life a little bit better whilst you're dealing with the big C? Yeah. And this is, it's a, I think this question applies generally to, it's not just cancer. This is not understanding someone's mental health condition, not understanding what they're going through in life not being able to empathize with something, you don't need to know what's going on to be there for someone. You need to show up. You need Mm -hmm. to make space available for them. You need to say, I had a friend say, hey, I don't know enough about what cancer is actually. I've never been through it. I've never been surrounded by it, but I want you to know that I'm here for you throughout the entire process. If you need someone to lean on, if you want a distraction, if you want to go out for lunch, if you need me to bring over, I don't know, baby wipes or something, though, I will do it for you because you deserve to have someone that's there for you throughout this. Even if it's just a bit, she's like, you can tell me whatever you want. And that was super valuable because I knew that I had an open door that I could go through at any time to complain or cry or just be distracted. And that's probably the most valuable thing Mm -hmm. what not to do is to minimize someone's feelings to tell them that we've already talked about this you you might have to as someone going through this you might have to say the same things six seven eight ten twelve times to even process it properly so you might hear the same thing over and over again just acknowledge that they're opening up to you you should be privileged to have someone share this sort of information with you it's not a burden you might feel tired from it, but imagine how they're feeling. Yeah, they just exactly. want an outlet. And I, as I mentioned before, my friend whose mother had cancer, she constantly would call me during that process. And I remember we would just cry on the phone together because we've both been through it before. And she had an open door. Whenever she needed, she would call me and I would literally, I would, I would be on meetings and I'd be to people in meetings. Hey, I actually need to go. My friend's calling me and she's currently going through a cancer issue. Everyone would be like, that's fine. I'd go off and we'd probably talk for two, three hours. And it was everything from telling her, you know, know, you're doing the right, at least you're there for your mother. We would remember the good days. You'd go through the crappy moments of now. Even then we were actively grieving while she was alive and she was setting herself up so that her death wouldn't be as much of a shock reminding her that you know her heart might be empty because her mother has passed on but at the same time your heart will not be dead forever you will make more space and 
maybe it takes five people to feel the love that you had for your mother, but it doesn't mean that you know, it's not going to be filled. It doesn't mean you're not going to love her. And I think that's why, that's why it's so interesting to, with cancer, you're actively grieving. And I think people that aren't experiencing it or haven't experienced it, they need to know that. It's the mm-hmm. same thing. You're literally, yeah, you're grieving now and you will grieve later. And you need to just be, you need to be open and you need to listen. And maybe you give advice, but don't give unsolicited advice. Give advice about ways for them to detox because a lot of times I forgot how to have fun. I forgot how to relax. And the simple act of someone saying to me, have you exercised this week? Have you laid down and done yoga? Or have you gone and had a bath and done a face mask? Those little things, they actually do mean a lot during those times because you forget to look after yourself. Mm -hmm. So it's definitely a mix, but at the end of the day, just just be there and be fucking sensitive. Don't be a rude prick who thinks your life is more important than theirs. And also, I probably don't want to hear about your life as shit as that. And, I, and I'm, I was, I was allowed to be selfish because I don't want to hear about what you're doing or the guy that you're seeing. I don't care. That yeah. just seems menial when I'm going through what I'm going through. Do you think your life as a whole has changed? Oh, might I add for our listeners, somebody that's actually been through cancer and been lucky enough to live through it. I know that it definitely affected those around me much more than it did myself. It fucked my family up and it, and it still will. And it, and it still does. And it's something that you'll hear on a later episode, but I want to know, did you kind of have a moment? I don't know of clarity. Have you started to see the world in a different light? Have you slowed down? Do you think your gratitude's kind of just skyrocketed? Yeah. I mean, as I said, I've always, I've always been optimistic. And I've always been super appreciative of things. But I think after this, I realized that, and I think it's interesting because I say my grandfather, he, he wanted to smoke, stop smoking earlier. But in the same sense, he lived a great fucking life. And it's not he was rich. It's not he, you know, had a great job. He had a good social life. He had friends around him that mattered. He found purpose through the sports that he loved. To me, I learned that you need to just have passions and you need to appreciate them and Life isn't all about being successful, but it's about doing your best at whatever that thing that matters to you is. Um, I also became a lot more aware of myself. Since going through that, I'm less moody. I know how to process my emotions, but I used to pop off. I just get angry at people. I was off on a rocket, but now (laughs) I'm a lot calmer. I, I think because I learned patience with him, because he couldn't control anything at that stage, I learned and I learned how to put my feelings aside and live in the moment with people. And you don't need to make everyone know what you're feeling at any any moment in time. Sometimes it's more important to just be present. So it's definitely changed my outlook on things. But because he was so much later in life, it's an entirely different ballpark to being young. That's mortality in the face, right? Cancer should never affect people that are young. It should be a disease for the old, as crappy as that sounds, right? Because someone dying of cancer in their 60s and their 70s and their 80s is not that big of a shock. But whenever you hear about someone young going through it, your heart goes out to them because it's not something that anyone that's young or anyone's family that's young should live for. The saying is children do not die before their parents. Yeah. And so true. Children should never die before their parents. And that's why imagine how parents fucking feel in those sort of moments. So, I mean, it, it was a natural order for him to go as well. So for me, not as much 
hugely life-altering things. For my mother, not so much. For my grandmother, horrible to go through it. But also, as I said, she's now the centre of the universe, living her best life. So, And men typically do pass before their wives. So I think we're, women are a bit stronger in that sense. So we, we carry on, we keep calm and we keep on kicking. Keep on partying in her in her. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's awesome. I'm going to ask you one more question before we wrap things up. Just because I feel we've had we've had a pretty solid that was a solid houry doory at least that's a good one yeah that's a good it was one. Like, it was also refreshing for me to be able to express tears because I honestly don't cry a lot about my grandfather it'll happen once twice a year I'll just tear up but it was nice to just have a space where I could remember pay tribute to him because he's fucking badass man I know where I get my personality from (laughs) but also to respect him because what he went through I don't think I've gone through in that much depth about his journey and my journey alongside it do you think in some way shape or form post-cancer it's kind of I don't know you're just doing your thing and maybe pushing yourself to higher levels do you think in some weird roundabout way that needed to happen I guess in order for you to be where you're at and starting your own thing kind of going to actually 100% when he passed I decided there's nothing more important than me throwing myself into a business whether it fails or succeeds because I'm 27 now right I'm no we think 30s old but it's not nah. and the ability <laughs> exactly and the ability to whether I succeed or fail to say I threw my all into this thing and I tried my hardest and this is this is directly related to what happened. When he passed, I remember I was just, I'm going to fucking do it. Why not? You literally only have one life. And if you don't try, why why bother? Don't just go through life barely existing. It's the same thing with how I feel about people. If I want to talk to someone, I message them. I don't keep shit bottled up. I don't care if I've messaged you six times. My best friends, you should see the chat. It's like, hey, what are you doing? Bitch, are you ignoring me? It's not ever. I think you you should let people know how you feel. You should do things that you want to do. You should take risks and you shouldn't let the fear of failure stop you from doing things because to fail is also very beautiful. Mm -hmm. And best qualities come from people that have gone through hardships or they've tried things and they've failed. And they've learned more about themselves through it. So I learned my, a lot through myself about myself through my grandfather. And then I also learned how much of that resilience that you get from that also applies to life mm-hmm. in a different capacity. And you can take that energy with you throughout everything. So yeah. I always carry that energy that I'm not YOLOing, but you know, oh, like, you're YOLOing. You literally, <laughs> YOLO, you literally have the one chance to do something. So try your hardest at whatever it is. And it can be anything. I don't care. I, I always say to people, I don't care what you're passionate about so long as you have a passion. That's the, yeah. That is pure human energy. My grandfather's obsessed with sports. I happen to arts and business. So there you, you know, go. At least <laughs> find your thing and you run with it. <laughs> and he has a mural in bloody Bondi. So the man, he put it all in if there. You, <laughs> he gave yeah, it if all. you love something enough, People will put that energy back to you. And I've seen grown men at a footballers cry over my grandfather. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing purer than that sort of emotion coming from someone. And I, I didn't realise how much an impact he had on that sport. He's helped people get all the way to Sydney Swans before. Wow. And it's pretty, it's, it's shocking to see how far he came. And the love that he had and that was given back to him 
from that entire institution. Beautiful. I'm and the very effect proud that he had. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Just because he was he, he was the dude that they, they used to say he's the guy that was at the games that would get them on the court, swearing his head off, and then he'd be at the pub after with them drinking and drinking <laughs> on his table. I was, what a legend. It's not about, as I said, it's not about being good at things. It's about being passionate. And if you look around the people that you love the most, you love them because they're passionate about shit. You love yeah. them because they do things. And I think live recklessly in a good sense. Think about things, have patience, but also be safe, but just do it. Just go and do something and enjoy yourself because if you don't, you will live with regret. And that's the one thing I'll grandpa's he didn't regret anything on his deathbed. Even the, the fact that he smoked, he still didn't regret it. He lived, he led a really good life. That's all that is what I want for myself. I want to be on my deathbed. Fuck yeah, I was a badass bitch. <laughs> <laughs> I was so reckless. and that you are and that you are in in the best way possible as long as you're not hurting anyone and you're having fun and I feel in many ways we're all a product of the people before us whether that be our parents directly or our grandparents we've all got I've got plenty of them in me (laughs) I know you do as well too yeah I always say to my grandma I got my sass from you and then the other day I was, and you know, I drink and she's well, you got that from me as well. (laughs) (laughs) It's good to know. I think I'm, as I said, I'm blessed because I got to experience this and learn about my grandparents in such a capacity that you don't get that if you don't, you know, situations reverse. Normally you look up to your grandparents Mm -hmm. um, and they, they inspire wisdom onto you and they teach you things. And yes, we've had that relationship before in the past, but it's switched in that I teach my grandma things. I taught my grandpa things. I was providing care for them. And mm-hmm. to flip that and be in a completely different role, is it's a very interesting dynamic to live through. And it teaches you a lot about yourself, but it also teaches you a lot about your family and who they are and how that comes through onto you. Yeah. If you could give anyone any piece of advice that is in a similar situation to you, whether that be palliative care or looking for look, looking after someone, for example, what piece of advice would that be? I think look after yourself as well. Don't feel bad about having respite and put boundaries in place early on. So something I didn't do was I didn't try hard enough getting onto the pension early enough. And I think that's why they just discounted me towards the end. Seek support from institutions, be loud and complain. I was right on the phone to Centrelink with multiple times. I was like, you guys are dickheads. You're literally neglecting me and, you know, push for what you need. Seek out support. Use forums. Oh, my God. There, there are so many support networks out there, especially for cancer, and they exist for a reason because you do feel isolated, you do feel alone, and you need to make sure that you're not the only one going through this. And you want to learn from other people. People have been in these situations before and there is knowledge out there. But don't feel stressed that you need to sit down and do a fucking huge research through on this stuff. Take what you need, internalize it how you need, but do what feels right for you. For me, I made sure that there was two to three hours a day where no one spoke to me. If he needed to go to the bathroom, of course, that's you know separate. But I made sure I had designated time where I could just lie on the floor <laughs> and mm-hmm. process what was going on, watch my show and don't feel bad about looking after yourself because if you're not a strong rock, how the hell are you going to look after someone else in that situation? Yeah. You need to have a really strong foundation 
to be able to provide care to other people. And that means making sure that you are checking in on yourself frequently and making sure that you actually go, okay, I'm really tired. Maybe I shouldn't do anything today. I'll just do the bare minimum. And there's nothing wrong with doing the bare minimum. Sometimes people would look at it as a bad thing. Bare minimum is a good thing. Sometimes you need to do the bare minimum just so that the next day you can actually be there emotionally for someone. Mm -hmm. Because it's not easy. Absolutely. Look after number one. Gemma, what a bloody fantastic last hour. I am so, so, so proud of you. And uh, yeah, I'm going to turn this off in a second so I can tell you how truly proud I am. (laughs) But if our listeners wish to, I, I would also to in some way, shape or form, be able to create some sort of a community. Yeah. As this goes on. So if people did want to reach out to you, whether it is for a little bit of advice or I don't know, to say you're a bloody weapon, which you are. Is there anywhere in particular that they can find you to reach out to Yeah, so I'm an Instagram person because I'm too old for TikTok at this stage. (laughs) But if you follow my Instagram, my name is Jamazing because I know I'm amazing. Oh, my Um, (laughs) God. And it's G-E-M-M-A-Z-I-N-G. And I'm there for anything. If you just want to, I don't know, even send me photos about what you're going through, stories about what you're going through, I'm down for it because sometimes you just need to sound the chord. Surprisingly, sometimes it's best to have someone that's not directly in your life, someone that's a bit distant so that you can kind of reveal a truer self to them. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Amazing. (laughs) This podcast is brought to you by Better Mortgage Management. Are you self-employed and looking to get a home loan? Do you want to buy a property with your super fund? Or has your mortgage application been knocked back and you need a solution? At Better Mortgage Management, we specialize in solutions for home and investment loan borrowers. With over 50 loan products and 23 years lending experience, we have the flexibility and expertise to help you achieve your property dreams. Call us at 1300 857 275 to discuss how we can help you.